0: this is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck.
1: Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's
0: all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time, I am your host, Gabe Green, and uh, this week I am not joined by uh, James Hamrick, he flaked out, and uh, so instead I found someone better, and we are joined by Ryan Wall. Welcome to Franchise Fatigue, man. Hey, thanks for having me, and I am indeed better than James, so... Absolutely. It's not very hard, though, but you are definitely up there. Yeah, yeah. It's a low bar, but I cross it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So why don't you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, um...
1: Well, I uh, am the former editor-in-chief at Article Asylum, which is at uh, articleasylum.wordpress.com. You can find my old works there. Um, I'm not really doing anything at the moment, but uh, there's things on the
0: horizon. We need another BVS to unite us all in content
1: again. I mean, there's something coming around the corner. I have quite a few articles and ideas hooked up and uh, just haven't exactly had the... Uh, the time to express them like i want to so it's coming though
0: all right and so this week we are continuing with the uh, second chapter of the mcu with the uh, much beloved incredible <laughs> hulk but before we get into that i want to ask you guys if you enjoy the show to please head over to itunes and leave us a rating and review and also subscribe uh, and if you want to you can head over to facebook and like us there so you can follow um all the latest episodes and leave uh and leave feedback that can be right on the show And I totally forgot to uh, ask for listener feedback this week, so let's just dive right into the uh, main topic. So, as far as the Hulk, uh, we're just going to go back into the kind of the history of the character. The character of the Hulk first appeared in The Incredible Hulk number one in May of 1962. He was created by writer Stan Lee and artist Jack Kirby, which is pretty much true of every Marvel character. (laughs) He says he was influenced by stories like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Frankenstein, and his own Fantastic Four, where the monstrous characters such as Quasimodo, Frankenstein's monster, or The Thing were often the most popular uh, uh, characters with the most impact on the audience. He also took inspiration from The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where you had two different personalities warring within the same body. In 1977, there was a TV series, The Incredible Hulk, starring Bill Bixby as Bruce Banner, and a, a painted green Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. Uh, this, along with The Amazing Spider-Man from the same year, was the first TV series based on a Marvel character. Uh, that went for five, uh, five seasons and had several t- TV movies. Um, it was the show that coined the fr- you know the famous phrase, don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry or hungry either <laughs> uh, between then and 2003, the Hulk had several animated shows. Uh, I'm not going to mention any of them because I haven't seen any of them. Um, and then like Iron Man, there was a very long and tortured process of getting Hulk to the big screen. In 1990, Avi Arad and Gail Ann Hurd, uh, best known for producing partnerships with James Cameron. They came together to produce a Hulk film, uh, cliffhanger and golden eye writer, Michael France wrote a script Uh, Then Heard's husband, Jonathan Hensley, from such movies as Jumanji and Die Hard with a Vengeance, took a crack at it. In 1997, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji director Joe Johnson was hired as director, but then he left the project to make October Sky. And we're definitely not going to hear from him again. (laughs) Then Hensley decided to make the film his directorial debut, and X2 and X-Men The Last Stand writer Zach Penn was brought on. This version got all the way into pre-production and even had filming dates set, Uh, but then the studio got cold feet due to the rising budget and uh, doubts over Hensley's inexperience as a director. So Hensley began rewriting the script uh, for a lower budget before dropping out in 1998. And then uh, Michael France came back on as a writer. Uh, Then in 2000, Deep Impact writer Michael Tolkien was brought on along with X-Men and X2 writer David Hayter. And finally in 2001, Ang Lee was hired to direct. He didn't like the current script, uh, so his longtime collaborator James Sheamus rewrote it. Um, So finally in 2002, Hulk was released to a very mixed reception from both critics and audiences in a very disappointing box office. Um, James Seamus had already been developing a sequel uh, with Avi Arad, hoping to get it out in 2005, but this never happened. And in 2006, the production rights reverted back to Marvel, although Universal still retained the distribution rights. And Marvel decided to produce it independently alongside Iron Man as the foundation of their fledgling cinematic universe. So Zach Ben was uh, brought on again to write uh, some scripts for the sequel slash reboot, and he brought over many elements from his original script from the you know the mid 90s. Uh, French director Louis Leterrier, I I think that's how it's pronounced, and I apologize if it's not. Sounds good uh, to best me. Known for the, yeah, best known for the Transformer films uh, had come on. He wanted to direct Iron Man, but then was offered The Incredible Hulk instead. The initial plan for Penn's script was just to make a direct sequel to Ang Lee's Hulk. Uh, but then once he left the production to work on his own film, The Grand, Edward Norton was hired as star, and also his deal included him as as screenwriter. So he and uh, Leterrier worked together uh, to try and set the film apart from the previous film, including writing like an abbreviated origin story to to make it stand on its own. Although the film still opens in South America, which is where Ang Lee's film left off, Uh, producer Gail Ann Hurd described the film as a requel. Uh, Leterrier's original choice for Bruce Banner was Mark Ruffalo, uh, but Marvel wanted a bigger actor, so they went with Edward Norton. A choice that definitely panned out. There were absolutely no problems with that. (laughs) Supposedly, uh, another actor that was in the running for the role was uh, David Duchovny from The X-Files. The voice for the Hulk um, was done by Lou Ferrigno, the original Hulk actor from the TV show. He also cameos as the security guard at the university that uh, Banner bribes with pizza, which is weird because he also cameoed as a security guard in the original Hulk. Yeah. Or English Hulk. Not as much variety as Stan Lee in the cameos. Yeah, I think it's just the biceps. He'd definitely scare everyone else away. Um, Liv Tyler was chosen to play Banner's love interest, Betty Ross. Ray Stevenson was initially approached to play Emile Blonsky slash The Abomination, but the role eventually went to uh, Leterrier's first choice, which was Tim Roth. And I, I could actually see uh, Ray Stevenson doing pretty well in that role. He's definitely got that evil vibe. <laughs> yeah. For the role of Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, which is the best name ever, uh, William Hurt was hired, and also the casting choice in this movie. If you ask me, I mean, I I, I, I like the casting of this movie. Um, but yeah. he's he's a good one, and uh, so uh, Tim Blake Nelson was cast as Samuel Stern slash Mister Blue. Ty Burrell has a small role as Betty Ross's current boyfriend. You know, a very, very thankless role. Yeah. <laughs> and weirdly, Michael K. Williams from The Wire has a small cameo in the climax. It's just like a shot of him randomly thrown in there. Uh, Stan Lee cameos as the elderly chap who drinks the soda that's infected by Banner's blood. And finally, Robert Downey Jr. appears in The a not quite post-credit scene that links the movie into the MCU as a whole.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because uh, I was I was reading the
0: notes. It's not post credits. Yeah, well, I I, I remembered that, that as that, but then when I just watched the movie, like, oh wait, it's not post credits after all. It feels like it though.
1: It really does, and it, it,
0: it, it fits into the tradition of post-credit scenes. It does. So, the film began in July of 2007. The majority was shot in Toronto, Ontario. The Culver University battle was shot as, at the University of Toronto. An abandoned factory in Hamilton uh, was used for the bottling plant in Rio. There was also filming done in Rio de Janeiro and uh, various jungles in and around uh, that area. It's a beautiful location. More films should be there. Yeah, I agree. It's it's okay. We'll get to that. Can you imagine how how difficult it is to lug, you know, uh, you know, just supplies around that place? Yeah. Imagine if somebody shot something in IMAX there. (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. There was there's a big push to keep the production environmentally friendly. Almost every level of production made efforts to use like renewable resources and low emission fuels. It was the first blockbuster to receive the uh, receive the Environmental Media Association's Green Seal. So, good for them. Ha. <laughs> Edward Norton uh, continued rewriting the script all throughout filming, but he didn't end up receiving a credit. Uh, probably because most of his rewrites ended up getting cut. Uh, probably for the better, honestly. I I think we're gonna fight about that. <laughs> uh, well.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> uh, so as far as going into post production, uh, Leterrier chose Rhythm and Hughes to do the film's VFX uh, instead of Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, the lead actors would act out the the various monster fights in the film, and that was the was they would film that, and then the fights would be redone with motion capture performers. Uh, by all accounts, the editing of the film was. Highly contentious, uh, Norton and Leterrier wanted the film to be much more cerebral and you know, focused on Banner's self loathing and the tortured relationship with the Hulk, uh, but Marvel wanted a breezy blockbuster that was shorter than two hours, as opposed to the, to the uh, two hours and fifteen minutes that Norton and Leterrier wanted. Ooh, fifteen minutes. <laughs> well, no, that's a uh, that's well, it's probably about twenty minutes actually. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's, it's, I think it's like an hour and fifty-two minutes in the, in the final version. So. Right. It's a good bit. Uh, of course, the studio won that fight, uh, but apparently Norton fought so hard and caused enough trouble that he wasn't brought back for the sequels. Among the scenes cut was an opening where Banner wanders into the Arctic Waste and attempts suicide for only for the Hulk to emerge, which is something Joss Whedon uh, played off of in his script for the Avengers. Ah, uh, there were also attempts to like see the origin story throughout the film in flashbacks, much like the uh, two thousand three film did. But uh, test screenings didn't like that, so the entire origin story was was cut into a mont into the into, like, into a montage over the opening credits, which I actually think is a very clever choice.
1: I, I think it uh, it echoes Batman v Superman in that regard, um, huh. in which it's a really well known origin story, and so they just kind of gloss over it because everybody knows it. And it's, it's important, but it's not important enough to spend an, an absorbent amount of time on in that film. So I think it's a good choice.
0: I've, I've never made that connection. I'll, I'll have to think on that. Uh, for the film score, Aleterrier picked Scottish musician Craig Armstrong as composer. He had worked with Armstrong's band Massive Attack uh, on his film Unleashed. And finally, the film was released on June thirteenth, two 2008, by Paramount. Uh, that's just over a month after the release of Iron Man, and it was released alongside The Happening. So, Ryan, uh, do you remember your first time seeing this film, and what has your relationship with it been like over the years?
1: Yeah, um, I, I, it's a vague memory, honestly, because uh, 2008 was a while ago, but uh, honestly, I, I do remember... Did you see it in theaters? Yeah, I did, I did. I, I do remember... Um, just time before the MCU, you know, where Hulk was the well-known guy, you know, <laughs> which feels weird now. Um, but uh, back then, you know, Hulk was as close to something as Batman or Superman, short of Spider-Man. Hulk is the the really the biggest identity in the Marvel universe at this point, um, and and I remember. Not liking Ang Lee's Hulk at all, <laughs> and I remember really enjoying Iron Man and and knowing that it was connected somehow.
0: Um, okay, do, uh, that that uh, for me, I do not remember any kind of rumblings about an MCU like until I saw like Thor and I noticed, hey, that that guy Coulson looks like he was an Iron Man too. Um, but so it, was that in the air at the time? Uh, if I recall correctly, it was. I mean, you know how hollywood
1: news is um that there's a lot of talk and not a lot that ends up happening um mm-hmm. and so i think it's been it at that point had been talked about for years and years at that point um and i think they were building to be able to do the avengers at that point but i i don't think they had a clear course of action or or even knew for certain it was going to happen just kind of laying what could be at the time um
0: Mm-hmm. And well, I, I, I was thinking more like in the public consciousness. Yeah, were like, were these films as the building blocks of a cinematic universe going towards the Avengers? Was that common knowledge? or Was that more kind of pieces, bits, and pieces you could pick up if you watched the movies closely?
1: I, I think that was not common knowledge at the time, and and it's it's really hard to have always been really involved with. With film and film news so it, it's really hard for me to divorce my own like hardcore understanding and and understand what the public perception of, of it at the time was but I think uh, you know this was at a time when everybody was thinking Justice League would come out soon and Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman and <laughs> you know uh-huh. so there, there was a lot of rumors and talk and discussion that didn't amount to anything so I may just be remembering noise but I, I, I enjoyed it my first time. I I thought it was a vast improvement over Angley's Hulk, which I know is controversial in some circles. But I really enjoyed it, and I didn't I didn't have any inkling until that uh, Robert Downey Jr. said this would become something so much bigger. Um, but uh, but I walked out of
0: the theater satisfied. So did your uh, liking of it, the movie like decrease over the years, or has it built? Like, how's that worked? Uh, it dipped because there was. Uh,
1: Yeah, you know, the MCU unfolding in front of us. And, uh, you know, by the time Thor and Captain America were on the scene and Avengers came out, it just felt like insignificant. But I think over the years, as I've watched it, uh, mostly during marathons leading up to um, big pieces like Endgame and Infinity War, um, every time I rewatch it, I think, wow, this is so much better than I give it credit for. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's appreciated over the years after a initial dip in appreciation
0: okay um so for me i i'm not sure if i saw iron man 2 or the incredible hulk first i know one of them would have been my first uh, mcu film i didn't see iron man till years later um and i remember our first first year very clearly uh like we watched it like a pirated site so it probably would have been like super low quality <laughs> uh but I I remember enjoying it, but I had absolutely no no inkling that it had any involvement in anything larger than itself, um, and I don't I don't think I re-watched it till like several years later, and I I, I remember the, the the last few times I've seen it, I've always enjoyed it, and I think every time I've watched it since, I've kind of come to appreciate it a little bit more, um, especially as probably in kind of in concert with the dimming uh, perception of the film among general audiences. I've come to, I've come to latch onto a, you know, having a film, a podcast called underrated. I, I, I kind of seek out, like I seek out the movies that I think are underappreciated. So, yeah,
1: it's hard because the MCU is such a high quality thing and something like this gets swept under the rug and it, it, it feels wrong because when you watch it, it's like, it's actually good. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't deserve that.
0: I'm so just getting into what this film is. It, it, it it really does feel like this weird stepchild in the MCU, to where I'd say pretty much all of the MCU films, with you know I think exceptions of the the, the less good ones, are character dramas first and kind of action blockbusters second. You know they they definitely have all the action blockbuster elements, but it feels like plot. Often takes a second place to just, they, they want to have characters, they want to, you know, have them go through their journeys, and then the action and plots kind of coincide with that. And I think that that's why it's become so popular and so well loved because we love these characters. Whereas The Incredible Hulk, this is just a pure action film. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's, and it's built like that. It's, I feel like it's the only action, the only uh, MCU film may, that is shot like an action film, yep. maybe with the exception of like Civil War and Winter Soldier. And th- but that's even that that's more of the that's in the modern, yeah the modern action style with the, you know the more loose handled camera this, this this is shot like late 90s early 2000s michael bay just it's like a super high saturated uh, orange and teal look which i love yeah uh, it gets kind of mocked today but I for me whenever i see that look i know i'm just in for like beautiful dumb fun
1: yeah exactly
0: and, and it, i think um
1: you know, it's it's very very '90s action, but it it also in a way, I mean, not with the same modern sensibilities, of course, but it reminds me a lot of your typical like Liam Neeson action flicks. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. where like you said, the plot is there, but it's really just a vehicle to get you from set piece to set piece. And
0: I, I was thinking more along the lines of like a, a John Woo action though. I think that that's also been the kind of the cinematography. But that's a better
1: comparison, this, I think. You, yeah, you're it's, right. it's just
0: kind of. Very slickly made, pure action film. It's also it also has a lot of the '90s conspiracy thrillers like Enemy of the State or Conspiracy Theory. Just yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a whole rash of them in the '90s where the, the you can't trust the government. Computer you know, computer technology was just taking off, and it was like they could track your phones and all yeah. that. This <laughs> really feels like that. There's all those you know, those scenes in the room where people are on, on computers, yelling, you know, you know find I want, you know, track every computer, all that stuff. It, it's really is playing into that, that whole style. Information. Um, the, 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 the fugitive, yeah. the, that kind of fugitive chase movie. Um, and, you know, that paired with this, the, the very slick action scenes, it, it, it does, it stands out. And I, I think, I think by functioning, you know, plot foremost it's it's about the chase it's about the process that i think the, the big problem with this film does arise that i think the characters don't shine nearly as much as they do in pretty much all other mcu films
1: i think a lot of that is out to tone as well um because you know it's like bruce banner here is not treated like an icon or you know he's not even treated like a hero really he, he is treated more like the fugitive character there's a there's a tragic side and it despite being an action film it does have moments of contemplation um but most of those are you know i guess you would say a little more um introverted you know it's not as flashy or um Mm -hmm. or as quippy as uh we would later see and and i don't I don't mean quippy as an insult either. You know that's popular to say, but uh, yeah. But I mean, just as a statement of fact, it's just not not that kind of movie.
0: Yeah, it's generally very serious. There's there's a level of slight camp that I think is kind of beautiful, but overall it's pretty deadly serious. Yeah. And speaking about what you said about how he's not a normal action hero, I was actually watching this movie and it brought uh, to mind a line from uh, Age of Ultron where uh Natasha is saying to Bruce that uh you know all my friends are fighters and here comes a guy who spends his whole life avoiding the fight because he knows he'll win. And th- that's who this character is. He's not he's not a hero. No. Like in that sense. He's the the whole time he's just running because he knows if you find me I will probably kill you and I and I don't want that. I don't. So it's Yeah, he's he's really a liability as much as an asset. Yeah. yeah. It, it's it's a and you, know, you compare that with the character of Iron Man who's you know, the epitome of a hero. Right. And you know, constantly running into the fight. It's it's just it's a very interesting character. And and I, I I don't want to demean this film by saying it's pure action because it's 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 a smart it's smart and I think it does a lot of great character work in you know, within itself. Um like whenever like if, if you're here for the character stuff, it's not deep, but I believe like a lot of what Norton was going for in trying to explore the psyche of his character it still remains yeah yeah but i think you could see a lot of that is just in the direction this movie doesn't have a lot of dialogue it's very it's very visual and i was i was i was just surprised watching the opening of this film just how much is got, is gotten across with little to no dialogue. Like we get that really awesome montage where all the you know the relationships are set up. You know he's you know Betty, Betty is his girlfriend. Ross is her father. Ross is you know the, the guy in in between them. He's and then he's chasing after. Him. Like yeah. So all of that is established in the opening montage. Then we when we move to Rio, even then we're just going through his entire daily routine in life with again almost no dialogue. We see him studying. We see you know, what he's trying to do. All of that is just kind, it's just shown, and with, with the text between Mr. Green, and Mr. Blue, but it's just I, I'm I'm very impressed by uh, Leteria's just visual direction and giving us all the information we need to know with this purely visual style. The camera is kind of always moving. It's very, it's just it's a good looking movie, and I, I might dare to say this is the best looking movie in the MCU, and it's it's you know it's within that specific early 2000s style but still i love the way this movie looks and i think the ca- i think the camera work and the direction does not get enough credit because like f- for the mcu they have hired almost exclusively with a few exceptions like d- drama directors and i think they've done a pretty good job with the action for the most part this isn't a full-on action movie you know, he came from the transporter and, and like on un- the un- unleash which is a jet lee film and he has this incredibly slick, fluid camera work. Yeah. I think the editing in the action sequences is incredible. Just the the, the the Rio chase and the factory scene, I think, is with, like just top five MCU, maybe not top five, maybe top ten A- MCU action sequences. Oh, man. Just the chase is so thrilling and exciting with just great moments, like the guy running off the edge.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is like for me, um... The, the interesting thing about that is this is an action sequence that does not contain any of our iconic heroes. I mean, it, it contains Bruce Banner, um, but it's very, very human, very, very grounded. It's more human and grounded than anything in Captain America, or, you know, it's more human and grounded even than Hawkeye or Black Widow. It's just a guy running from the authorities. And honestly, for me, it's, it's, it's a bit of irony that the moment the Hulk shows up, in, in this initial rio chase like i i like it but at the same
0: time i like the chase before well i i think this entire sequence is perfection because the way that the way the hulks introduction is played like a horror film where he's yeah, kept yeah. in the shadows and it's just the roars but also another thing i, I i've started to notice is i love just watching uh, blonsky's team uh there's something about just watching people who are really good at their job being good at it that is just fun to watch. Just the way they work together, and even as they're being torn apart, like every time they lose a guy, their whole group kind of like reforms and they're walking like all methodically reloading. It just looks super badass. Yeah, we do like Yeah, yeah. Everything. It's just like uh, I think I've heard the phrase like competency porn, where it's just watching <laughs> cool people be cool. Yeah, it's uh,
1: it's it's really great. It really sells the fact that these are trained professional killers, and and that, uh, and and honestly, that that does it's understated, but it speaks a lot of Bruce Banner and his lifestyle up to this point. You know, uh, later, uh, Ross talks about how he, you know, they were monitoring for credit cards and stuff. And he's like, he's been missing for years. He's not going to slip up on that, you know? Mm Um, and I, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, even though you have these competent trained killers, you know, you have this, this scientist that is, doing a a fairly good job
0: <laughs> but they really sh- evading they show us his work ethic just you know he he seems to have like a really strict routine he's doing the martial arts and the, and the training with the guy with the scariest abs i've ever seen uh, dude that thing is that it C- me I, every time i'm convinced that cgi like is
1: that possible with the human body <laughs> I, I i have attempted to do that and laughed at myself <laughs> um yeah i i don't think that can be done but uh Actually, if you don't mind, I know it's a little sporadic, but I did want to jump back and just comment and say one thing that uh, we were talking about how quiet and and uh, visual the opening mm-hmm. is. I, th- I think uh, it's extremely appropriate to sell the fact that this is an isolated guy, um, that he's not living a very loud or social life. There's not much dialogue. Most of it's through text, and his relationships around him are not necessarily... Important to him, they're just kind of uh window dressing <laughs> for survival. Um, and and I think that really uh does a lot to sell the idea that this is a a fugitive who's doing his best to lay low,
0: yeah. And, and uh, I haven't actually watched the Incredible Hulk TV show, but from what I hear, this film is like very much it feels like a homage to that. I think the the the, the whole from what I hear, the film the show is structured around like the banner as a fugitive he'll go to a town try and lay low something will happen he'll reveal himself and then it'll end with him walking sadly into the distance right, right. and this that, that's this feels like an episode of that where he's you know he's hunkered down but there's also a desperation and longing like just the way he typed home yeah in, in the uh in the in the chat board like this guy is is very Kind of, he's miserable he's, in in a way. You know, he he's 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 very disciplined and he's keeping his life up, keeping you know keeping his spirits up. But he's still there's just a, a crippling sense of just being lost about him. He used to be normal guy. <laughs> you know, he's
1: not always been this
0: fugitive fellow. Y- yeah. And, and similarly, you know, they have a little the kind of quasi subplot with the uh the the factory girl, where again you know he's he just because he's he has that level of integrity, he has to step in, you know, to help her. And that's you know part of what gets, gets him caught. Right, right. It's not
1: that he's a completely insensitive jerk. He he wants these relationships. He craves you know a good human connection, and ultimately that does get him into trouble. But uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, it's 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 interesting
0: and really understated. In this film, and, and it's and even when he goes back to America, it's all done through visuals. Just like when he goes and checks on uh, Betty Ross, just watching her from a dis the distance and kind of the pain when he sees that she's you know found this other guy. And, oh, dude, the scene it, when when her and Tybalt come to the restaurant, he accidentally walks in and then runs out the back. And the camera pulls back from Betty, and he's hiding behind the uh, the dumpster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, it's it's so good. It is. It is. And then,
1: of course, uh, when when they reunite in the rain, um, it it's. Yeah. I think Ed, Ed Norton does an, an amazing job at this. And, and there's an alternate universe somewhere where he, he's been the guy the entire time that I'd be interested to see. Uh, not that I don't like Mark Ruffalo. I, I think Mark Ruffalo does a great job. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a level of understated kind of performance that just doesn't fit in the MCU. None of the other characters even Cap doesn't is not f- functioning on this level. Like, it, I think it works perfectly fine in in this movie, a 90s chase movie. Yeah. But you know, it's not it doesn't it's not the same and uh, I think the, the drama in this film even though it is very melodramatic kind of functions at that level and I'm going to ask you a question what do you think about uh, uh, Liv Tyler's Betty Ross? Uh, I'm a bit mixed um, on the one hand
1: there's there's the continuity part of me that, that hates the fact uh-huh. that she's never been brought up ever again um, but at the same time it's like um, I just don't think this is as interesting a character as the things they have chose to focus on so Mm -hmm. it's not a huge loss to me I think there are moments of uh, like the reunion in the rain and uh, uh, the one we referenced in the opening with the cab where she's screaming at the cab driver and stuff like moments (laughs) like that pull the you know elevate the character and and I think Liv Tyler does a good job Uh, and I think the dynamic of her being uh, Ross's daughter works really well but it's just overshadowed by so much more interesting things.
0: Yeah, the, the performance is interesting. I don't know if this is just Lift Tyler just and like her her vocal range, but like there's something so like weirdly soft and delicate about her entire performance. Yeah, um, like I, I feel like she, she, there's not a lot of internal drama to that character. She's more kind of an extension of of you know Bruce's struggle. But then there are there are I think moments that I think are quite excellent. I think just the scenes of them when they're back together at her house, and it's like you can feel the history and the longing they have for each other, but also the knowledge that this is probably going to end in a few days, but they also desperately want it to come together again, and they're just kind of like standing there staring at each other, and she's like, you know, bringing him his bad things, and, and like, neither one wants to say goodnight, it's like this... It's again. It's all. It's all subtext. Like none of it's spoken. But I think in the performances and other little moments, like when they're in the hotel and she's cutting his hair, it's just. It feels like they are just trying to reconnect in this. And it, it feels very like delicate and awkward and just. And I think that's where her performance really shines, and they actually have some palpable chemistry. But yeah. Not in like a like a funny quippy way, but just in a a way that I believe these people had a very. You know, deep intimate relationship that was severed, you know, just completely gone for however many years, and now they're just in each other's lives again. They're trying to figure out how to how to live with each other again.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, I think you're right. I think that there is a a twofold um, theme that's emerging in this episode here, and one of them is understatement and the other is like implied history and bombastic 90s action (laughs) yeah yeah, (laughs) (laughs) of course of course but as far as the drama goes you know that but you know this movie does a good job with the implied history and i think uh i think with betty and bruce is is probably the best example of that because like you said you know there's so much that you can feel there's a history there Mm. that we just weren't privy to and it's almost like we're Walking in on two people that really know each other very well, have known each other for a very long time, reconnecting, and mm-hmm. we
0: we don't necessarily have all the details, but we have enough. And it's this film almost feels like it's a sequel to a movie we never saw. Yeah, yeah. Just the like, just the way relationships are done, like it's like the Italian pizza guy. He's just he's just there. He, and he's a friend, and that's and that. I buy it <laughs> totally. And, yeah, it's not it's not it's not to where. The f- the film is incoherent because you haven't seen the previous film. You understand everything, but it 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 does feel like we are there's a level of context that exists that most films don't just
1: assume. Right, right, and I think part of that goes back to this being a super well known character. Not necessarily with the uh, you know the pizza guy, but uh, but uh, the different pizza guy. Hold on, there's two of them in this movie. <laughs> but who's <laughs> well, the second one? the, the, the pizza guy that. Uh, Spider-Man reference. Uh, yeah, yeah oh. that uh, we'll probably talk about. In a minute. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, it, there's a lot of implied history here and and it works, you know. It's it's just just goes really well. I I can't explain why. I think part of it of course is that it's a well-known character with a well-known history. But the other part of it is they just in the performances, they sell Little things that make you feel like okay, this has been going on a while, um, and of course the dialogue does it too. Maybe not always as delicately as the as the uh, the actual unfolding uh, action, but uh, but it's just really really well done in that regard. And I think uh, a lot of it, of course, is owed to Ross uh, giving exposition to Blonsky, um, which. I just now realize his exposition so that's that's a good win.
0: <laughs> well we're at, we're, at, we're at, uh, at Blonsky now. Um again th- this is a character where his motivations are very simple. He you know he's he's an old he's a soldier, a professional soldier. He never uh got promoted because he's a fighter and now you know he's losing his edge and he's found a way to get I guess another lease in, in life and he's like pursuing it because for you know he just he just needs that power, he needs that rush that energy again and and i, I think it's, it's a very good performance just this you know his general compet- competency in action uh but then when he goes back and uh and like confronts um ross and he's like you know uh th- that was better uh sir you're gonna have to explain that no i don't <laughs> <laughs> he's like he, he's he, he the, i love the way he sort of but not really stands up to ross like he he knows how to play a superior officer, and then as soon as he hears about the uh the super soldier stream, he just latches onto that. Like, can I get me some of that? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and, it's and it's, it's all just kind of it's all done pretty well, and just you know it's not that deep, but I he, I think he he's quite fun. And yeah. He, he he sells that kind of crazed look like you like towards the end when he gets on you know, How you feeling, soldier? like a monster yeah
1: i i I, uh i i really appreciate him as well uh like you said it's not a very deep character uh but i I think tim roth brings both the competency and even early on you can see he's something not quite right with him you know (laughs) a dog he's willing to go a little too far yeah you shoot a dog man you're just i know you're not okay (laughs) you know but uh yeah and and i think um I think uh, his his uh, chemistry with uh, with Ross is amazing. Like he and William oh, yeah. Hurt play off each other so well, and like you said, it is a great um, officer to soldier relationship. But it also has like weird tendrils of almost father son type stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Like like they 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 are two people who are perfect for each other. You know, yeah, you have the general who's very morally dubious you know and he's gonna do whatever it takes to fulfill what he considers to be his duty and you have a soldier who just loves soldiering and will follow dubious orders to the ends of the earth (laughs) yeah if it's a good fight right and they both they both they both like really like respect each other in that in that regard right
1: I, i i think there's just not enough can be said about that because every scene they're in together is gold um and, and a lot of it is exposition. A lot of it is just Ross explaining who the Hulk is, why Banner is dangerous, how he can confront him, how they can fight him. You know, it's like a lot of it is exposition. But at the same time, there's like, you know, in between the chemistry and the little bits of confrontation that they have about, uh, you know, Blonsky just wanting
0: more information and Ross being Ross and withholding as much as he can. Yeah. I, I like the way he kind of he'll pause to like size Ross up every time before he'll give out another like little tidbit of information. Yeah. He's aware that Ross is or he's aware that Blonsky
1: is craving this stuff and he's just kind of like it, it's like a, a, you know somebody feeding their dog uh, table scraps <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and he knows that he has something that Blonsky wants but he also knows that Blonsky is you know, Ross treats everybody like a weapon, <laughs> you know? So, mm-hmm.
0: and yeah, just the, the character of Ross, I think is, is also kind of fascinating. This, this you know, deeply morally dubious guy who ultimately, I, I, I guess he does care about the country and, you know, defense. He's the strong military type, but there's also the, just the, the it, it feels like he is also just seeking power for its own sake on a certain level. It just, just lines like, as far as I'm concerned, that man's whole body is property of the U S army. He's he just, he's so sleazy 90s villain but also like i do appreciate that they don't make him absolutely evil like the 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 usual corporate villains of the 90s films were like he's not that he's bad he's the bad guy but he's he's a person he is with a bad point of view (laughs) he is a career politician of a general um yeah
1: and and i think that flows naturally with what they did with him in civil war um but uh i think you know there there is a part of him that does care uh, about the collateral damage and like you know his reaction in harlem when abomination is on the scene is oh we got to stop this you know yeah not, and oh, go ahead and not like it like the the idea of like you know dissecting him and studying him and being able to weaponize it becomes a secondary concern when all of a sudden there's a large civilian population, which is, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a it's not ultra complex. You know, it's not a one dimensional character, but it is at least a second dimension and it's, it's a really well played second dimension.
0: And, And there's a cool touch to his performance that hurt added in the campus battle where like he never even looks at his daughter or meets her eyes for like yeah. that entire sequence until she puts herself in danger and he panics. Yeah, yeah. Like like when she runs off, like, get her back here, he doesn't even glance that way. Um But then, you know, when she's actually in danger and he does actually panic, I think it's just a really good moment for him. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. It, I mean, he's not what I would call a good guy by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, but there is a touch of humanity to him that I think really, really goes well. And and I think you know if if I'm allowed to, um, to bring up Civil War because it's like his. I mean, he has one.
0: Do it, yeah. Right. <laughs> if I
1: if I may, you know, the, it does seem like a natural progression for him to to go to that point where yes, he he's concerned with the collateral damage, but at the same time, he also has a supermax prison in the ocean. That's you know, it's like yeah. so he he has those super villain touches but at the same time he also has like a core humanity that's not 100%
0: corrupted yet yeah it, 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 like if he were a general in like the the, the uh, galactic civil war he would have just kind of been folded really nicely into the imperial program as the empire took over yeah he's yeah. that kind of guy yeah exactly exactly and uh, speaking of the campus battle i think that's just another sequence of just fantastic action and there's something i have to mention about this film that I love that. I think raises its action above most of Marvel, Marvel stuff. Is that I'd say ninety five percent of this action, at least, is shot in in with real live action place. Like there are very few scenes in or you know shots in this movie that look like they're entirely CGI. Yeah, like,
1: yeah.
0: Every shot of the Hulk running is just a camera panning across a you know, or just driving on a truck across a field and yet that adds some kind of feeling of weight and also i think it limits the kind of that that cgi virtual cam which can look really awesome but it it all there's something about when you have when the camera is cgi and you can go anywhere that even as as cool as it might look we can just tell that it's not real well yeah it's going
1: on absolutely steady rails and you know like there's there's something to it that's just completely artificial and, and this this movie has a sense of momentum and and brutality that you never see again in the mcu yeah. and,
0: and they play within the the limits of what a camera can do and and traditional editing like this film would not have been shot any differently if, we, if there was no cgi in it yeah so, yeah that's what's so cool about it and that that that, that just complements you know i think incredible sense of action where every shot feels like it's just leading into the next one and like when hulk is running around smashing humvees out of the way those are real humvees being blown up like you could just see it yeah it's treated
1: like the hulk is on set <laughs> you know and and i i appreciate
0: that and the hulk sure he looks a little rubbery yeah but if everything around him is real the whole scene just Will st- and you know even if a rubbery Hulk punches a car and that a real car explodes and fl- flies thirty feet, sure. We at least will will, will buy it.
1: Yeah, I, I think it gets a little diceier with the Harlem fight, but e- even
0: then, I I love the camera work in that fight. I, I do too. I do too. The shots, the just like that, especially the shot as they're kind of walking walking towards each other slowly. Yeah, and the camera just like pans over the entire burning street. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 unlike anything
1: else in the MCU and and i'm not um i'm not a huge fan of the hulk's design in this i think that oh, really? they like i mean it's it's really unfair to say because you know like things like uh, endgame have had you know a, a full decades more of uh cgi experience on top of it i if i saw this design done with today's technology i'd probably appreciate it more i do i do appreciate where they took the hulk design going forward and and making the hulk actually look like the actor um Mm. so I, i do appreciate that but uh design apart i think there is a Sense of weight and momentum to the Hulk yes. that is not present in the in the current iteration. Not that it's bad in the current iteration, but I think that this one is like, like, the current Hulk walking towards me. It it feels like okay, that's a CGI monster, but it also feels like there's a person like this Hulk
0: walking towards me. I'm taking a few steps back. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess it varies director to director. You know, sure. Party kind of does something a little different yeah but that was something i was the sound design every step is like rumbling like there's 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 just even just the sound but i think i think the sense of weight is also complemented by the the fact that the camera is on the ground and you can only do so much with it yeah so they they have to keep it all in frame but also yeah there's the there's a lot of weight and sense of you know which is also because all all the damage usually happening around is practically done
1: yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, like you said, I, it does have a lot to do with the sound design, like the the crunching as he walks, and, um, I, I, it kind of reminds me sort of of uh, the Jurassic Park T Rex in the way that they accomplished how like uh, this this thing feels like it's not just it's not just a large guy, it's it's a monster and it can really really hurt you, you know, so. Um, it's not quite on that level of the Jurassic Park T-Rex, but I mean, what is?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, the CGI definitely has age, but I think people make more of that than is really there. I think there's a, there's enough just great filmmaking and technique going into it that I think it works well enough. Yeah, I agree.
1: it's it's
0: dated and, you know, holding it side by side
1: with modern-day Hulk, it may not look so great. The design is fine, but the the execution of it is so well done. You can forget any of that. Mm.
0: Okay, going back to what you said, you you said it was probably for the better that a lot of this movie was cut out. Uh, why is that? I think I think, um,
1: I think uh, ultimately, Ed Norton's vision and uh, Lattier's, uh however we agreed his name is pronounced—their <laughs> uh, vision was different, and there is some. Sh- from each other or from from each other from each other i think um yeah i think they both did want the the contemplative mood but i think they wanted to accomplish it a little differently um i think if if ed norton was given the full reins this would probably look a little closer to the ang lee hulk and
0: maybe more competently done (laughs) mind what about them together like that's uh, that's you know what you have with the writer writer director like because I, all because what i'm thinking is like all those ideas of banner as the tortured soul are so beautifully conveyed by Leterrier and his directorial style i agree like just through shots of his eyes or just the, just little, little things little looks little glances just all of that is in his direction i i think um you know we we talk about cooperation
1: a lot in film and how it can create a lot of good things uh we don't really often talk about conflict and how that can bring out a lot of good things um to, to give an uh, an example from something else in the office um which is television but still um you know you had uh BJ Novak and Mindy Kaling in the writers room they would really kind of torture each other uh and not in a antagonistic way you know but ultimately they decided to bring that to their characters in the show and that worked really well you know by, by their the really toxic romance yes exactly exactly so um they decided to bring a little bit of that office politics into it and it worked for the better i think in in this case to to bring the, the analogy back home the the essential conflicts that went into making this film actually made for a better film than any
0: one vision would have made even if it's just kevin sujahara or kevin foggy whoever same thing <laughs> saying <laughs> cut out 20 minutes of it for no other reason than we want to run time
1: no no I'm, I'm not saying that i'm saying i think they probably cut out what was uh, other than the suicide scene i think that could have gone a little far but even then this is a blockbuster and mm-hmm. and I gotta remember context this is the incredible hulk and kids love the incredible hulk and if you open your scene with a suicide with you know eh, you might not do so well um and i know this is all studio considerations and the, and, and me personally would love to see that scene um
0: I, underst- but, I understand. But mo- modern MCU would be totally fine with that scene. Maybe like, like, think of like Infinity War's opening or Endgame's opening. Like, th- they've gone there now. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they s-
1: sort of have. I I think there's a a difference between you know, um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not gonna not gonna give a specific. But <laughs> I, I think it's different than having a scene where Ed Norton has a gun in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I don't know that they're they're quite willing to go quite that far but um, you know that's just the one example I I think this isn't the best version it could be Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong Um, I think that uh, you know there there is some some problems with this film that probably could have been solved had Ed Norton got a little more of his way or if there was a little more screen time Um, But I don't necessarily think all that was cut um, would necessarily
0: have accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish. Because I I I can feel in this movie that stuff was is just was just taken out. Sure. Um, like there's like I feel like there were more scenes between like Bruce and Betty pre Hulk. Um, just the way she comes back to the story, like it feels like the pizza dude already had an intro. Um, like the campus fight that just starts, and like it's not until like three scenes later we realize that uh Ty Burrell called General Ross, but it, it's like things just kind of happen really fast. And it's not in a bad way where we don't under we can't follow the story, but it's just in a way that just feels it feels really breathless. Like sure, like the, like the the almost sex scene they have, like that shot of them kissing, that was one long shot, and then it, but it was then cut down to like a montage. Yeah, it's things like that especially like going into the third act there's like scene after scene after scene just happens the, the scenes are like 15 seconds long and we're kind of the next scene is like they're in the car driving at night then we cut to blonsky you know going in for his final injections and then like 15 seconds later we're back in the truck on the bridge and with the traffic jam it's, it's just like things are just happening
1: yeah the third act is its own <laughs> set of issues i think i i, I think for me the, the the third act is where things start
0: holding up a lot less well. So yeah, I, I feel like just if you added more scenes it, it would just, you know, it let the film it feel flow the flow feel better, but also my probably my biggest issue with this film, like even though it's a fun breezy little movie and I always have a great time with it, it is it is very weightless. As far as like there's there's, you know, the the, the dramatic stuff is there and it's all excellent. But you don't really walk away thinking about the great tragedy of Bruce Banner. No, you're right about that
1: for sure, and I think um, I think also, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily communicate. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't. It doesn't really communicate the stakes. I think. Um, yes, there's there's talk about you know Ross's desire for the Hulk, and then and. Yes, they demonstrate the power of the Hulk, but they never really bridge that gap successfully where anybody Blush, can. Isn't that what Blonsky is? I, 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 in a way, in a way, but I think there's there's a certain point of it that's like. Um, they never really validate Ross's perspective at all. Where like, is it validated? Is it valid? <laughs> no, no, no. But they, they don't validate it enough to where it's necessarily believable. Like, I don't understand how somebody can have gone through that intro and think that they can control this.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, if you have the confidence to wear that mustache, you know, you're always right. And uh, fair point. <laughs> everyone else, be damned. <laughs> fair point. Fair point.
1: But uh, I mean. It it does stretch a bit of credulity, you know. It's 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 very very scientist. Um, oh
0: yeah, and, and which I, which which I feel is is part of the the nineties. Sure, of sure. Feel of it, it that, that is there's that just level of barely camp there in in uh, his character.
1: Yeah, there's a lot like uh, I remember one topic uh, one time you, me, and James were talking about. Uh, the beginning of this movie with Ross, like loading the tranquilizers, and whether or not that was going to be effective in the first place, and th- those are questions you get
0: into when you think a little too hard about it. Actually, I think the film, this film, because because when he ta- when he tells us about when he tells Blonsky about the Hulk, he only names like six possible deaths that he's implicated in. It's like. the 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 world has not really met the hulk like he broke out of the lab and that's all blunts that's all ross has seen of him yeah i i i I am in agreement
1: with you i remember that conversation uh i don't remember who came to what side or where the chips landed or who made what argument i was on the right side that's that's where it landed i if i understand you correctly (laughs) if i understand you correctly I agree cuz there's there's no precedent for this. He has no expectation to believe that a tranquilizer would not work. You know, he has no expectation to believe that I mean he has a minor expectation to believe that live fire won't work, but it's not a lot of experience, you know. And yeah, what about a fifty cal? What about Sam Cannon? Right. What about the giant
0: gunship? Right. He literally tries everything. He throws the kitchen sink at. at <laughs> I do love the way that scene is structured, like by three different times of him yelling into the radio: "Bring the fifty cal! Bring the gunship! He's yeah. like, bring the cannons. <laughs> He's like, "Nope, that didn't work. Uh, plan B. All right, Plan C." <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. I, it, it it is uh it's not necessarily communicated in dialogue or anything i think we know that uh he he obviously has not had a lot of experience with this and they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks and and that does two things really it, you know it does one thing really well and one thing not so well one thing it does is it communicates to us the the threat of the hulk and that uh a, they don't even understand all that he's capable of doing they just know it's a lot uh, but on the flip side of that, that also is like, how do you have any expectation that this is a good thing for you, man? Like <laughs> this this <Use laughs> just to
0: power a hungry name, yeah <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so, agreed. <laughs> agreed. It's You need to have the craziest or else there's no conflict. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're absolutely right.
1: Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong and I I don't know necessarily how I would fix it. So I'm kind of Monday morning quarterbacking it here. Um but there's a
0: part of me that just doesn't understand how he thinks that this could work out. The, the, he, we've kind of find out his whole thing was trying to revive the super soldiers here Sure. And I, I do like that both Hulk and Abomination are re- direct results of trying to revive Captain America's, you know, kind of Erskine's formula. Yeah. That's that's just a cool little kind of in universe. It's never really acknowledging the film but it's there if you look for it.
1: It's it's acknowledged subtly in Avengers. Um well, not so subtly. It's a knowledge in dialogue, but you know, it, it is it's super subtle here. Like if if you don't know Captain America, you, you, there there's no reason to expect that this is anything other than a plot point, you know. Uh, which I I will say is a credit to the movie like it doesn't feel like you're missing something when the, when they bring up this is an iron man too right right it, it's like they bring up the super soldier serum and you need no further context than that it's cool if you have the further context but you don't necessarily need it to understand what's going on
0: yeah that's an interesting thing with this film i think one of the reasons why it does feel so weird and out of place in the mcu is that it's not trying at all to be an mcu film no like this is the hulk and sure we have nick fury's name on a paper in the opening montage and the, the the air cannons were made by Stark Industries, but otherwise, there's nothing until that final scene. There's no indication that this is part of anything bigger, and I applaud that. But also, I think it's it's kind of a weakness. Looking when you when you're looking at the MC as a whole, the interconnectedness is one of the big selling points, and one of the things I think is is so incredible about it that you have this film is just it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It is you know, right or wrong. It does, and I think part of that is because like
1: like Iron Man 2 would stick out a little bit more if it wasn't for the fact that they attempted an entire B plot to to build towards Avengers and and the fact that it's a sequel to Iron Man but in in this case it's not a sequel to Iron Man it's not it's not building to Avengers it's standing alone it's just introducing the Hulk but it doesn't it it also doesn't feel like your typical Marvel introduction movie it's not even an origin story it's just a story with this character um mm-hmm. and it's unique in that regard which which is one of the reasons i like it but also one of the reasons why it does feel like a black sheep you know yeah and it's it's hard to assess this movie in with the mcu cuz it feels very very different
0: and, and going back to like, i think the story of the film it, what what is kind of frust- is frustrating that it doesn't have more of a dramatic punch considering how beautifully set up banners conflict is like watching the first act of this film you almost think you're in for like a really haunting kind of character drama yeah with the monsters but and and i can't even say it doesn't fulfill that promise because i think that is l- layered in all throughout the film it's constantly coming back to that just the the the, the, the way where he can't remember what happened but he'll have the flashback fla- the flashbacks the flashbacks <laughs> flashbacks like uh, in the shower PTSD. yeah yeah or, and then once he meets up, you know, uh, which is Samuel Stearns, like when he sees all the blood, he just kind of freaks out. We got to burn it all. And I think the moment, which is kind of the climax for his character in the helicopter, where he sees, he sees, um, he sees abomination. And he, I love that he, he takes responsibility for it. You know, it, it might not have been his fault, but he gave Tim Blake Nelson the blood. And now that that was used to make him. So, like, he, he, it, it's it's what he's feared all along. The whole reason he's kept so secretive, is because he was afraid some idiot would use it, and now they have. And now he's like, I have to fix this. Like me and you, Ross. Yep. And, this is us. And to Ross's credit, he he reluctantly agrees. But I, I I just love the scene where he like he he he's possibly been cured. He doesn't know, but he's going to jump out the helicopter because it's the, you know he has to try. The shot, like again, just like beautiful visual storytelling. The way they kiss, and then he falls backwards, and they're like, he's his hands pulled out of hers, and we kind of fall backwards away from the helicopter. Looking up at Lift Tyler like it's it's a beautifully shot scene. again followed by a great joke where he kind of opens his eyes. Oh, shh! Yeah, falls away. It, it's the better hot take here. It's
1: the better version of the Ragnarok one. Oh, absolutely, no <laughs> question. But it's dramatic. Is you know, it's more dramatic and funny. Yeah, well. yeah, exactly. It's both. And I think um, for me, uh, the biggest problem with the third act is that it does. In many ways it it takes all these chips for this incredible tragic character drama we were given and cashes them in for an action finale.
0: Yeah, there's 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 very little connection to the the previous themes. Right. Um I guess there there is an acceptance where the whole film is him non-stop running away from this thing inside of him and the end is like Okay, I gotta it's Chase. Me it. and him we're we're here to stay so I got to figure out how to live with this. And the, other, the final shot is him contr- learning to control it. Yeah. But otherwise, like Blonsky doesn't bring any kind of credible moral or philosophical, you know, antagonism to him. He's just something to punch. Now,
1: uh, and and I guess there's a reading of this where you could see uh, Blonsky as the Hulk at its worst, um, and you can you know read that as Bruce not only turning to accept the fact that he has this thing with him but also confronting it directly um i don't think that's necessary that that second part is necessarily intended by
0: the film (laughs) you know wait confronting himself yes i oh well i i don't think you say hulk smash if you're confronting yourself no 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 that's what i'm saying i don't (laughs) think that
1: that part's intended by the film i i think you could read that into it it's not communicated it's not stated it's it's definitely not intended, I think, but uh, I I guess you could stretch it to that point. Uh, and that that again is one of the problems with this film is that there there's so much meat there that they just
0: l- leave on the table. Yeah, it's like only there if you want to grab onto it and look for it. Sure. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, uh, with Samuel Sterns, you know. I, I feel like uh, it's a loose end uh, of a character in many ways, not just because of the ending, uh, but because they, they built him up a lot throughout the film as Mr. Blue. And, you know, of course, when he, when he comes, I, I love the... It, it's in the previous scenes, it's like, you know, Mr. Blue is like this enigmatic, helpful force, and then you get uh, basically a university nerd that has it's weird he, he's quirky but he has a lot of the same character defects as ross mm, yeah I, I i like that yeah like he, he's a true he's a true mad scientist yeah exactly exactly he, he's uh I, he brings a, a bit of comic relief at a point in which this could have been a little too oppressively dark at this point <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just loved Tim like that. I know he—he's so he, he's good. He's just this bundle of nervous energy, and he, he's just like—he takes so many lines that aren't necessarily inherently funny, and just the way he delivers them makes them hilarious. Yeah. Um, or just the way, like the scene where he's trying to cure Banner, and like the computers are messing up, and he like runs around, kicks, it, and falls down. Yeah, yeah. He's just—he's—he's he's a lot of fun um well also i think being being mad but not evil like he's he's again he, he wants the power he sees it like you know, but he also he's like he wants to use it for the betterment of mankind you know, he's a he's a he's a crazy scientist but he's not again not evil no
1: which i like i, th- I think he has the same character defect as ross in that oh well, i mean ross has a power hungry side too but i think his major defect of course is that in pursuit of his goals he does not see how his means are affecting his ends,
0: uh-huh, and I love that like when he meets um like he he doesn't panic in the face of like the, the terrifying power like when when Hulk is hulking out, he's just kind of looking on in wonder and like he he almost forgets to to yeah, administer the cure yeah yeah <laughs> or when uh, when when um, Blonsky. Blonsky comes to yeah, okay. him there's like you know. You, I don't know what you have in you, and then he grabs like, you know, I didn't say I wasn't willing. Uh, I just needed informed consent. And when he's transforming,
1: <laughs> and when he's transforming, and he's like, I think I can fix this <laughs> if
0: you just get back on the table. Yeah, I think one of fear moments is when he's like, now I hate the government as much as anyone, but don't you think you'd be a little paranoid <laughs> to shout with the dart? Yeah, yeah.
1: And he lets him, like, really girly scream. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, you know, it was he, he was a lot of comic relief Um, I think he he is thematically appropriate in a lot of ways because he's I think again this plays to that point of a lot of implied history he's a lot like Banner pre-Hulk you know like just fascinated by the science of it and the the theoretical side and just totally not seeing the implications of what's, what's about to happen
0: yeah, and a justification of Banders, you know, run and hide policy. Like you know, the, yeah. old, the one person that he reaches out to to try and save himself, you know, ends up making everything worse. And like uh, you, you see, like that—that's why the character when we meet him again is so is is like is so like despairing and like this. This is my life now, and I I just have to hide I can't I can't there's no
1: hope anymore yeah and then and then the great thing is the the very next movie it's it's a very very similar Loki's trying to use them shields trying to use them the only the only one the first one to treat him with the kind of respect that he wishes he could get is Cap and then to- because Cap is the best person <laughs> Right, be. He's the best. and then Tony uh, in a different way though T- Tony is more of a you need to embrace this thing but Cap was like I, I care about you for what you can do you know yeah and so I only what I care about yeah exactly exactly so um, I think uh, I think you know in terms of like how this connects to the greater MCU you know there's not a lot in terms of solid stuff here. You know, Samuel stearns we just mentioned, you know, was a loose end. He's he's
0: Who's the villain that the character character is in the
1: comics? Uh he is a guy known as the Leader. Um and he's like way more comic booky than most of what we've seen. Uh well, that's not true cuz like Ego is super comic booky, but uh e- even then like you know the MCU has a way of like toning it down to where it's understandable. <laughs> Or, or at least not as campy as it could be, Um, but Leader has like a like he's one of those typical like extremely large head kind of characters. Oh, he looks like a green
0: Sinestro, yeah,
1: with a big yeah. He's he's your typical inflatable head kind of villain. (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) Oh, oh, one of those. It's weird that that's an archetype in comics, but it is. Um, (laughs) But you know, we never hear from him again. And and honestly, uh, if they were going to go that route, it's probably for the better. (laughs) Unless like he comes up in like a Guardians type scenario, I just,
0: I just can't see that coming back at all. Yeah, because you know, there's the whole rights issues. You know, this also probably because this is this movie didn't do as well at the box office. Like, I. Like As long as Universal shares the rights, I doubt we're going to get another Hulk solo film. I agree. Anything set up in this film is just gone. I mean, they they could use
1: aspects of it, kind of like they did with Ragnarok or with Civil War. It's just,
0: it's not necessarily worth the effort to do so. And it's weird that they're so willing to cooperate with Sony, but not with Universal. I guess that's probably also a function of this film bombing. Yeah, I, that that's another thing too. And what's
1: really weird is, like, at the time, this was considered the safe bet. Yeah. Like that, they were. Yeah. I, that's so different from today. Like, it looking back, it's impossible to imagine how this was the safe bet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, that just goes to show there, there is absolutely nothing sure in comic book, no. or in blockbusters. All right, so I, I think we've pretty well covered this film. Um, I the, the, this, the score for this film is 45 tracks long and most of them are like full length like you know two to four minute tracks. So I haven't actually listened to the full score. Um, are there any tracks that you wanted to highlight? I, I know you're, you're fond of this, this score in particular.
1: Um, let, let me do a slight confession here. Um, I have not listened to this score very much divorced from its context. I've probably okay. I've probably listened to it once through, uh, a couple years ago. And I have listened to snatches that I really enjoy uh, here and there. Um, I can't remember the exact track name, but uh, the one that plays during the chase sequence in Rio, the favela chase. Yes. My goodness. That is, in my opinion, one of the best MCU tracks there is. That's uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Like a lot of like, percussion and uh, strings. It's, it's very, very like it's, not necessarily enjoyable by itself per se i mean it it is to me because like you know i have the context um but it's just a heart pounding good you know like really energetic track that also has like an element of desperation to it that i just really enjoy and i think that you know that this soundtrack is a lot of desperation there's
0: just two different varieties of it. There's quiet
1: desperation, and then there's panicked desperation.
0: Like the one, the one track I, I did stood out to me that of the ones I listened to is is uh, Craig Armstrong's Hulk theme. Yeah, which is just this like steady, low key march of dread, and I love the way it kind of comes in and out uh, during that the, the favela chase. Every time his heart, his heartbeat monitor starts getting really high. The, his the, that kind of like that dread that kind of m- dread music kind of pops back in. It was it was really cool. I I didn't notice it anywhere else, but it was I I like I like what it says about the character. Even it's not the most dynamic thing, I, and I am curious to hear if it ever pops up up again in the MCU. It 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 wouldn't shock me, but at
1: the same time, I don't recall it happening. Yeah, I mean they use the Spider Man TV show theme, so I mean I don't know. <laughs> They used the Iron Man TV show theme for crying out loud, so oh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. wouldn't shock me if it did come up again, but I don't recall it happening. If it if it does happen again, I think the fact that we don't know that it happens again can safely say that this is the best use of it. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if it's one use, it's the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Without question. If there are more uses, it clearly didn't stand out to us, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. Um. So before we move into like the box office and reception, uh, let's uh, rate this film out of five stars and rank it against Iron Man. Uh, what do you give this out of five stars?
1: Ooh. Um. Uh, maybe. Maybe three. Three point five. Uh, probably. It depends on the day of the week. Honestly. Some. Some days yeah. I'm. I'm higher on it than others. It does have a lot of flaws. Um. But at the same time, I just enjoy it for what it is, and and how beautifully shot this film is, and how. Like you said, it, it is one of the more beautiful MCU films in general. Uh, but also, I, I like the kineticism of it. I like the the breathless quality it has. Even though it, it could benefit from a little more breathing um, and and mm-hmm. fleshing out, I, I really enjoy it overall. So, you know, I'd be willing to give it a three.
0: And I'm assuming you think Iron Man's better?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Iron, Iron Man is <laughs> clearly better. I don't think anyone would argue that. I think this... It's so it's so unfortunate for this movie that it had to come out following Iron Man. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so for me, I would also give it a give it a three point five. Um, as you mentioned, just the as the filmmaker in me loves watching the craftsmanship that Leterrier brought to this. This is just a beautiful example of action filmmaking at its finest. Even if the writing isn't always propping it up, there's never a moment where I feel that the the, the direction is anything but. A highlight for this movie and just the, watching the way he builds sequences it just brings me so much joy and you know I, I can see why someone if someone doesn't care about action this film might not have all that much for them but for someone like me who loves action like watching the fight scenes is everything
1: for me i i can't believe we've gone this far without mentioning that awesome kick
0: <laughs> oh oh dude Every time, without Phil, even though I know how how hard and violent it is, every time it shocks me. with just how brutal <laughs> it is in flying so into the tree. Good. It's so good. It's equal parts like it's
1: it's the humor of of it's like it's almost like uh, the Life Alert commercials where it's like <laughs> I should not be laughing, but this is somehow funny. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's obviously better executed than the life alert commercials obviously but uh you know there's a brutality to it that is that is equal parts cringy and comical
0: <laughs> yeah all right um so moving into the uh, box office uh on its release it earned 134 million domestically and 128 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 263 million on its 150 million budget. Uh, it's the lowest grossing MCU film, both domestically and worldwide by a good ways. Uh, it made less than half of what Iron Man did, you know, just the month previously. Um, and it's the only MCU film that has definitively bombed. You know, there might be an argument to be made for Captain America. but We'll talk about that later, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to think of that, that, that you know, right out the gate in, in their first year, they actually had a real bomb, but they kept on going.
1: Yeah. And, and honestly, it, 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 seems obvious to us now but looking back this is the exact opposite of what everyone expected to happen mm-hmm. it yeah, both who's, ad- I- who's Iron Man? Like, what the- <laughs> exactly it's like Iron Man was a nobody and Iron Man made the bank and then Hulk was extremely well known and relatively well liked
0: yeah and, and that, that's the beauty of a cinematic universe like this to where if uh, you had Iron Man huge hit Hulk's a bomb. Iron Man keeps going. Hulk stops. It's like like the yeah. bomb won't destroy the franchise. They just or like or a disappointment. They just pin it and they can keep going. Yeah, and they still can fold the character in
1: and use yeah. what's there. So exactly, I, I appreciate that aspect of it. It it is like it's so hard to divorce ourselves from the context of its time. It it was unexpected, and th- there is. Again, somewhere there's a, a an alternate universe where Hulk is the centerpiece of the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe, and I, I don't necessarily want to want to be in that alternate universe, but uh,
0: that's that's hard to imagine. Yeah, um, if RTJ was cast as Bruce Banner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as the uh, critical reception, uh, it received like moderately positive uh, reactions from the critics and audiences. It holds a 67 percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a 61 on Metacritic. Um, I think the big thing going for it at the time was kind of a positive comparison to Ang Lee's version five years earlier. Um, Like, well, not many people loved it at the time. Pretty much everyone said, yeah, it was better than that other Hulk film. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, I think it was in – from reading up online, I think it was in reference to this film that the term superhero fatigue was coined. That was – it got me thinking – like this, this movie came out before Marvel and the MCU, and I guess Nolan had like completely revamped the genre to where I could I could definitely see how someone would be getting superhero fatigue in this time period. You know, like the genre would have been like ru- running off the fumes of you know the early Spider-Man and X-Men films. Like by then you would have had Spider-Man three, X-Men three. You know, you got the Daredevils, Ghostwriters, Catwoman. Like, was Fantastic Four out yet? Yeah, the two Fantastic Fours. like. This I feel like at this point it would be fair for for a critic to think like we've seen all the superhero sh- genre has to offer, and I don't think the Incredible Hulk re- does uh, really rises above the other films like you know that that whole crop. No, it doesn't move the needle very much at all. Yeah, so it, it does. It feels of a piece. I think looking back, we can see how it's be- how it was better made. But at the time, it does. It's it's that you know big CGI, you know not not terribly smart kind of movie. And it kind of got received that way, and but what 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 there was there what was there positively was all almost entirely in reference to Ang that 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 movie, which is, that's a there whole are, conversation in itself.
1: There are apologists for that movie. I I am not one such person,
0: but they exist. Yeah, <laughs> there are weirdos everywhere. <laughs> yeah, sorry if you love that movie. Uh, I don't. Um, um, me neither. And, and interestingly, going forward. I feel like as memory and the specter of Ang Hulk has has diminished, so has light appreciation for this movie. It feels like now there's like a, like a frighteningly large crowd. That's just willing to say, Oh, it's terrible. Which is, it's, it's strange. Like this is pretty, you know, very often ranked either at the bottom or like second or third from the bottom of the MCU films. Like it, doesn't really get a lot of respect these days. I I think part of that owes to
1: current context in which there is. I mean, it's not as formulaic as people make it out to be, but there is a certain kind of expectation of how these movies will feel, how these movies will look, how they will move, and and this checks none of those boxes. Yeah. So I feel like I mean it checks a whole different set of its own boxes. Um, But uh, I think that contributes to why people are so quick to write this off, even though it's a perfectly good movie in its own regard, you know, but uh, it's just, it's really hard for us to, again, divorce ourselves from the cultural context and, and realize that, you know, that there is
0: another way, you know, Yeah, I I feel like people don't really know what to do with this film when I watched it because, like at the time, there was no established MCU tone. This movie was just this movie, but now yeah. there is an established MCU tone, and even the, uh, the the outliers like you know, say like Civil War or Ragnarok that that, that really ru- take the tone and to run with it in a different direction. Even they feel they still feel of a piece with the MCU, and this just doesn't. As I said, it's a '90s chase film, and that there's no room in the MCU for that. So when someone's doing an MCU rewatch and they come across this movie it has nothing it has almost none of the things that we love about the MCU and I think that's both to its credit and to its detriment.
1: It's it's more 90s than Captain Marvel. <laughs>
0: well yeah, Captain Marvel's not a 90s movie. It just has 90s no, aesthetic. Uh, aesthetic, yeah and even then not not that much (laughs) yeah i I feel like the only group there is a small group of people who rallied around it who i think may they really appreciate that it is different like among the criticisms of the mcu being all similar this movie definitely shines out as something that is completely its own it has and also like people who criticize the mcu visual style this movie has so much visual style like there's a lot this film has a lot going for it and i think i think not enough people recognize um I, honestly, I don't know what its, what its legacy... Like, usually I, I could, you know, try... Uh, I I at least have an idea that I, of what I think a film's legacy will be going into the future. I really don't know what this movie... What do you think? I think, uh, sadly, it will uh, appear a lot like
1: itself. It's going to have a lonely existence with a few defenders and not much
0: else. I, I could be wrong. Do you think it's going to... Like the that, that the, the tractors are gonna grow like they have in the last decade? No, I I think it'll probably stay about
1: steady. I think those who who do and it's hard to, to say what future generations will do. Um but I think those uh, the the subset of people in the following generations behind us who do see this movie will probably be divided along similar lines.
0: Yeah. I think this is depressing <laughs> all right so that was our review of the incredible hulk i hope you enjoyed it and if you did again i'd like to ask you to please head over to itunes and leave us a rating and review and if you want to follow us on facebook we're there as franchise Geek podcast if you want to follow us on twitter and instagram we're there as on both of those as at franchised pod and if you want to find out other episodes you can go to franchise Geek and is there any where people can follow you online ryan uh, again, if you want to check out uh, my
1: written works, I'm at articleasylum.wordpress.com. Um, other than that, I don't want to be found just yet. So, <laughs> Play hard to get. That's the way to
0: do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, so for me, I'm on Letterboxd. I am there as Gabriel Green, uh, rating and possibly reviewing the, all the films I see. And I'm on Twitter as at Gabe A. Green and on Instagram as at Gabe the Great Green. Uh, so for next week uh james better be back and uh, we're gonna be talking about iron man 2 which is another much beloved entry in the mcu <laughs> um but actually th- I th- this one i think is gonna be a fascinating conversation because just trying to figure out why like why does that movie work when it does work why doesn't it work when it doesn't like that's, that's a whole mess of a movie that's gonna be just fun to talk about even if it's not great
1: yeah i, I look forward to listening personally i just uh it's, it's kind of weird to imagine that this and then Iron Man 2 happened and the MCU went on to flourish.
0: Yeah, just just so much interesting history and <laughs> stuff. Uh, I definitely can't wait to dive into it. All right, um, so until next week, we will see you in the sequel.